Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. I'm Brian Seymour. And I'm Sally Layden. Thanks. Welcome to Conversations 18. It's been since before Christmas, um, since our last conversations, and we are here today. It was 21st of December, wasn't it, Sally? Yep. And so much has happened, not just with our story, but I'm sure with all your stories, thanks to um, the pandemic. But um, let us get underway. We are going to start with um, tips. This is um, this is separate from the uh, the episode that you would have just listened to. So we'll start with the um, the information, the other information that we weren't able to cover, and then we'll recap some of the episode. Sally, over to you. Hi everyone. I hope you're all well and um, surviving COVID nineteen as best you can. Um, we've been very fortunate to have lots of people listening to the podcast still and re-listening and people contacting us saying, I've just listened again um, while they've had some time up their sleeve. And um, we've had a couple of tips come through. Um, We had one lady, her name was Lisa, and she'd been sitting on her information since last year, actually, because she was trying to get some confirmation of the information. But she used to work on the Gold Coast um, between 2001 and 2004, and um, she worked at a Trend West, which was opposite um, or located opposite the Gold Coast Art Centre, which you may remember my mum actually told me that the man that she was with in the night, we saw her at McDonald's in the car, Um, She said that she'd met him at the Gold Coast Arts Centre, so all very um, location-appropriate. And um, this woman worked in payroll there, and she rang me to let me know that um, she 100% believed that there was a Ramacurl working at Trend West on the Gold Coast while she was there. Um, However, the records are are private or have privacy issues for us, so um, I'll be handing that over to the OIC. Obviously, it's really important now that we're with the coroner and working um, towards going to inquest that we don't contaminate any leads or any um, potential leads. So um, we'll be handing that over to them to let them do their job and see if there's anything that comes out of that. But obviously interesting, she sort of said to me that, you know, they used to um, type in the surname on the payroll, so it wasn't a numbered payroll. And so that's why she um, recalled the name quite clearly because they used to laugh about the remake being an interesting name. Um, so, yeah, so thank you for that lead um, coming in, Lisa. And we've got a floor bella as well, is that? Yeah, so only last week um, we had a gentleman by the name of Glenn who contacted us via our um, anonymous tip line and um, he said that he was sitting in a pathology um, surgery down in um, north of Sydney and um, up on like the north coast of Sydney. And he was sitting there and a woman was called, a name was called for a woman and her name was Florabella. So obviously with great interest and listening to the podcast, he instantly decided to contact us and gave us really good information about the date, the time, what she looked like, what she was wearing. Um, I've been able to ascertain that the woman who was actually there was not Florabella, but Florbella. So a different lady altogether. Um we've been able to establish that that lady does exist and um, it's not her. So unfortunately, it's it's a, a non, non-confirmed sighting, but, um, you know, nonetheless, it's amazing that people are actually going above and beyond thinking about the story all the time and, and keeping their, their eyes and ears peeled. So I want to put a massive thank you out to all those people who are doing that because that's how we will find her. 
um, you know, if there's a chance we will. So um, thank you so much for doing all of that. And um, speaking of above above and beyond, Joni, um, she's been helping you. I gather she's been helping with the mortgage details that you've uncovered as well? Uh, look, you know, I'd like to just put a special thanks to all of the, the super sleuth girls, I call them, because they've given an enormous contribution to, um, to my story and the cause of helping to try and find mum. So massive thanks to all of them. Um, I have been working quite closely with Joni, um, who comes up with these great ideas of what we can do and what we can, while we're in, you know, especially while we're in COVID-19 and we're all working from home and doing what we have to do um, and having a little bit more time up our sleeve. Um, interestingly, we've been able to, you know, nut out a few different theories and it's not even that they prove to have any um, def- definitive answers to what's happened to mum but it actually gives us a bit of a timeline or some information that we can actually put to the storyline and have a bit of a understanding as to what's actually gone on um, before and after she has um, left so what we found out well the idea was we'd go back through and um, I had to really really think hard because I had to go back and remember all of our addresses and um, some of those we had to go on to google earth and try and locate the house and confirm the the number of the house for example and uh, particularly mum's last residence in Jeringong um, because I'd already moved um, out myself so I wasn't living at that address myself so I kind of had to go to Google Earth physically and look at the street and try and remember what street it was and everything so it took quite a bit of time um, we worked out all the addresses and then we'd also been working in conjunction with a lovely lady her name is Sally as well And Sally came to me probably uh, mid last year and offered to give me some details about the deeds of mum's house in Ashmore when she sold it. And the results of that were I was able to find the man who bought mum's house, who then I was able to find out from him the real estate agent um, who sold the house. And then from there, I was able to get documents that she had, which led me to the solicitor who had signed um, or witnessed some documents of mum's, who turns out that he had her will. So just that one little bit of information when we investigate it to the nth degree we actually end up getting a heap of information so Sally's come back to us she's been the one helping us with the mortgage details um, on each house that mum had and the idea behind that was we wanted to try and work out how much money mum potentially would have had because I have no clue at all as to what she had worth-wise um, or how much she had on a mortgage or anything like that. So there is a lot of information there that I don't need to tell you guys about because it's not really relevant, but I can let you know that when she bought the house in Ashmore after she got the job at TSS in 1994, she didn't sell the house in Jeringong at that time. So she actually sold the house in Jeringong nearly a year later in 1995 which would mean that once she sold the house in Jeringong, she would have had a massive influx of money coming back into her bank accounts. Um, We know that she had connections with Westpac Bank um, with previous um, mortgages and the Commonwealth Bank. And we also know that the last mortgage she had was with Colonial, which we'd already verified um, through the real estate agent documents that um, that I received from the real estate agent last year. So it's just an interesting take to try and work out like if you sit there and say you know over three or three and a half weeks is what the lady at the commonwealth bank told me she'd been taking the money out in byron bay or someone had taken the money out in byron bay and burley heads when you add up five thousand dollars every day for three and a half weeks it's like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars 
So you kind of have to work out whether or not she'd have extra money on top of that in another account or was some of the money in the savings account, was some of it in her mortgage. I mean, I know my, myself and my husband, we have four different banks that we bank with. So um, and one's mortgage, one's you know savings account, one's one for the kids, um, and then there's a work account as well. So, you know, it's not unlikely that people have multiple bank um, dealings or bank account details at one time. So, yes, there's not really much to really enlighten people's attention to, but it was just an interesting part of the journey for us to sort of cross that T and dot that I and go, okay, we've done that now. We can sit there and say we've checked all of that information. This this conversation is all micro level. So, obviously, we can do mostly macro level in, in the actual episodes, but getting down to the micro to... The actual, um, as you say, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, the, the level of investigation that is done at that, le- uh, you know, with, with um, Sally and her super sleuths is, um, is incredible. Speaking of which, uh, medical records. So this is where Joni comes in, right? Yeah, so Joni again, um, Joni had put in a request for phone books from Grafton area in 1997 because we'd been told by a listener last year again that after the AFP, so the Australian Federal Police did a missing persons poster for mum, um, it says on there that the location of the doctor's surgery where mum used her Medicare card was at um, Grafton, uh, Grafton World Shopping Centre is what it says. And um, what we've been able to work out is that uh, we had this lady contact us, sorry, and she said that there is no such doctor surgery. There's, I've lived in Grafton my whole life, and there's no surgery at Grafton Shopping World. So I'm not sure what they're talking about when the police have said they've been to that surgery and it was closed, and therefore there was no further leads to be given um, or or, ch- or checked from there. And then so Joni had the idea of actually getting the phone book from 1997 and looked up all the doctor surgeries in Grafton. Um, She then called the information centre at Grafton, which verified who was still operating at the time, as opposed to um, what had been closed. And the one that's closest to Grafton Shopping World is actually still operational. And we know that there is a doctor who's still working there today. And she was working there in 1997, as was her husband. So I have handed that information over to the Homicide Squad. Um, They have told me that they've actually checked all that out. And obviously they can't tell me any other information um, due to, you know, the contamination of information and leads. Um, But... We're, we're all over it, I guess, is the, the nuts and bolts of it. And, I, you know, it shows, too, that um, I know there's been massive breaks, obviously, since Christmas came in and, you know, the Homicide Squad took over. I kind of said to everyone, can we just take a, a breather over Christmas, let us all regain ourselves and let the Homicide Squad do the job that they need to do um, in investigating the case properly. And then, obviously, we got hit with COVID-19. So um, that sort of put everyone on the back burner as well. But I, this is important, I think, to share with everybody to know that we're all still working collectively together behind the scenes, just trying to actually get little bits of information um, you know, the, the super sleuthy girls like Jen's constantly messaging me with new ideas and thoughts and, you know, um, you know there was potential sighting in Tasmania and things like that. So it is important that we keep um, you guys informed of what's happening and that we're still working on it. Um, I think last time we checked we were up to 7 million listeners um, on the podcast. So 
um, you know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of inf- interest. I'm still getting messages from people, you know, all over the world saying, you know, we're, we're here for you, we're thinking of you and hoping that you get some answers super soon. So um, massive thanks to everybody, um, you know, for caring and um, keeping keeping the thought process and keeping me and mum at your um, front front thought process because you know you never know you might be sitting in a doctor's surgery and you see her or you hear her name get called out just like glenn did or you know see someone at a school and go oh that look that lady looks familiar or she might be coming in and buying milk or bread from you like it's so so important and the, the further we spread the story and hence why i agreed to do all of this really was to spread the word and make people aware of what's actually happened um to her and um you know until we know that she's safe and well you know, I can't really rest. Yeah, and and that's the thing, and that's uh, d- during all this while we're all having to to cope with new situations with COVID nineteen, etc. This has still been very close to your heart, Sal, and um, and you know us as well. Like we're we're still working on it, um, but not to the degree that that you do, because this is your life. This is you. You know, you live and breathe. We we sort of have to lead up to, you know, all right, where are we at now? Um, we've been having the NCAP battle, in, um, which has been something that we've been working on at our end. I know online that uh, there's been some discussion amongst uh, the, the, the vast community of millions now following this that, that we've sort of had the blinkers on and we've been looking at um, particular uh, conspiracy theories as being, um, you know, potentially uh, uh, holding the clues as to what happened with Marion. But as I can assure everyone listening, that that is not the case. We've very much approached this with an extremely open mind and the clues that we've unearthed have all led us inexorably to the the places that we've been and the people and the persons of interest we've identified. We've not not confirmed what happened to Marion, but I I suspect and I, I feel very strongly that we've already uncovered the evidence that will lead to the, the final determination about what, what happened to your mum, Sal. And um, I, I'm certain of that even more so after speaking to the former Deputy State Coroner, uh, Hugh Dillon, who um, you would he have heard in, in the episode just yeah. gone. Yeah, it's now, great. Now, I'll tell you what, Hugh, Hugh Dillon has um, decades of experience as a lawyer and uh, Deputy Coroner, like a medical examiner in the US, uh, of looking at cases of uh, missing, long-term missing and suspicious death, uh, disappearance. Uh, in fact, um, he's he's certain of two things. Number one, there will definitely be a coronial inquiry into your mum's disappearance. So he's, Hugh Dillon's unequivocal on that. Um, the law is very clear on this. No proof of life for more than seven years. Um, suspicious circumstances surrounding her disappearance, there will have to be a coronial inquiry. Unless the That's police know what happened to her, which, you know, would be great too. Great. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing he's certain of, and he was unequivocal in this, is that someone else was involved in your mum's disappearance. This is not a case of someone deciding they're going to change their life and walking away. That's not how people do this. And I'll just tell you that I was watching a, a documentary um, just yesterday, because I'm always looking around for... Uh, other cases like this to find out the experience of other people searching for long-term missing. And there's, um, there's one on Amazon Prime called Missing Mum by a Canadian filmmaker. And it was like you, Sal, the mum had been missing for 25 years, uh, just disappeared one day, and uh, no one knew where she was. And, you know, the, the, she's now she would have now been about 55, so younger than your mum when she disappeared. 
had had some uh, personal issues, was a bit erratic, but um, um, there was no uh, indication she would do what she did. Left two uh, children she loved behind uh, without contact for all that time. Anyway, uh, very different to your experience. Um, they started with a, a Facebook post and a, a missing person's post to drop like, like we did at Byron, and 10 days later they'd found her. Okay, spoiler alert, they find her. And she just um, had had some issues with drugs and alcohol and had been too ashamed and felt that she was alone and without any support. Um, her grandparents had custody of the then underage children, um, so she decided to stay away. And, and that's not that uncommon. What is far more uncommon is the circumstances in which your mum disappeared. In fact, it's so uncommon that it just doesn't happen. It's unique. People don't decide to disappear like your mum did. I, I'm certain someone else is involved. I suspect we've identified who that might have been. And um, I'm sure we're going to find out for sure very soon. Now, one of the things, um, I mean, Sally had written to the coroner to um, advise that she wished that there would be no further delay in an inquest decision. This is when it was still due at the end of July. Um, you would have heard that in the last episode. So now it's due the end of September. Now, Sally wasn't consulted on that. I, I don't know what the, the ruling is with that. Did Hugh mention whether or not they need to consult Sally or is it just etiquette to let her know prior to them making that decision to delay it? I mean, I'm, not, I, I'm sure there's... You know the coroner. I, I I didn't ask him that specific question about that delay, but on the delay, um, Hugh was of the opinion that that is m- more than likely a good thing, because the reason the coroner would grant an extension is because there's a high probability the police are compiling a a brief of evidence that is more complete, more detailed, and containing more information that will help them in the, the administration of that inquiry. Um, he, he thought that was a, a good thing and that it, it wouldn't affect the veracity or the, the success, the likely success or, or otherwise of an inquiry when it's held. So uh, in terms of them not letting Sal know, look, I, I understand the police's position that they're, they're detectives. Oh, the, the they, police let her know. The coroner didn't let them know and they're the ones that made that decision. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but but more, more broadly on the police who, uh, you know, have requested another extension, yet another extension. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been 23 years, but they need another three months. Um, I understand their, their position. They're homicide detectives. They don't want anyone contaminating witnesses or evidence. The only reason the missing persons unit was disbanded and then set up properly and this team was put on this case is because of the investigation that we've carried out. So... I, I, you, you can't really have it both ways. Had we not launched this investigation, there wouldn't be a new officer in charge. There wouldn't be a referral to the coroner. Um, none, none of this would be happening. So it's, it's kind of... I, 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 I think it's a, it's a wasted point and a pointless exercise, and I, I just wish that, there'd be, that there was far more um, cooperation and uh, communication with, with the people, first and foremost, Sally with the, the, the track record and the interest in finding out what happened to this human being. Well, when you look at high-profile cases, though, you look at the Daniel Morecambe case, the most, mm. probably the most famous of all missing person cases. I mean, there was 
People didn't think that they'd ever find him, and they did. And that was in the press all the time. They could have blamed contaminating witnesses, etc. in that case. But you know what? The, the family, like Sally, was relentless in their pursuit. The media did not stop. It never ceased in its pursuit. There was, there was, you know, the police use the media all the time to assist with their investigations. And in their case, in that case, it was really remarkable how they did it. And certainly Sally handed them a huge folder of information. You know, it was all like, here's all the work done here's, for here's you. the last 10 years of my life of yeah. Yeah. phone numbers, people, why this person might be, have an idea or have a clue and... You know, it has been. Um, You're not starting yeah. from scratch here. <laughs> and, and 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 let's not forget, this is a, a unique case. It, it should be hard for the police to solve. It's great they're now putting the right resources, and we're so grateful they are, and and confident that they will get the outcome that, frankly, should have happened years ago. But I, I know also online, there's um, just on that. Um, there's been some some. Um, discussion around, you know, uh, maybe Sally just doesn't want to accept that her mum left and, and then, you know, went through the money and then took her own life or something like that. Um, we haven't predetermined what we think happened to Marion. No one knows at this stage. What we've done is identified a, a litany of strange behaviours and leads that, that suggest that someone else was involved. And, and there are problems with that lone person theory that she did this all herself, such as the money left in the account in the United Kingdom. Why would she burn through all the money and leave $20,000 sitting in Barclays Bank? Yeah. How um, did she get back from Tunbridge Wells in less than a day to Brisbane? You can't do that today. There's so many discrepancies, like you said, though. Was, was there more than one person's handwriting on the incoming passenger cards? No. I mean... Not to mention yeah. just knowing who she was. And this is where like the, those yeah. missing persons experts say to us, you know what, the family, the gut feel of the family, the next of kin are the ones who actually have the most information. You know, they're the ones that, uh, you know, most... I don't know why that's ringing. Just a second. Hopefully that's the OIC. <laughs> well, speaking of which, before we move on from the OIC, I just want to say, and Sally pointed this out, um, September, end of September now, they would have had it shy of one year that yeah, investigation. Yeah. It's a month shy. Of a, mon- a month shy of one year, that's what I meant to say, of one year um, by the time... Yeah, that, that decision is hopefully and made. I, and I hope that they, they need that extension to chase things down like, um, you know, passenger manifests and, and leads and, and dealing with foreign jurisdictions, which has, you know, been more problematic because of the pandemic. Mm. It, it's actually stopped us chasing down some leads here with border closures and lockdown restrictions. And, and I'm going to hopefully get out this week and chase down another lead. But um, it's hopefully that's the reason um, they've asked for these extensions. And the result will be a an extremely valuable jam-packed brief that will give the coroner plenty of documents and people to subpoena to come in and give evidence and to find the answers that we're looking for. Well, and you know what? From my point of view too, it's a, it's a double-edged sword for me. Obviously, I would like a quick turnaround on the brief of evidence so that the coroner process can start because it causes me a massive amount of anxiety and stress mm. and I'm losing my hair and, you know, there are, oh there are massive issues with the stress levels of having to prepare yourself to go through something like that. So every time I get the whole, oh, we're, we're pushing it back or there's another pushback, it actually makes me feel really sick 
in the stomach yeah. because I've already been doing this for 23 years. I keep saying, like, how much longer do I have to wait? But at the other end of that stick, I want them to do it properly. I want them to do a full investigation. I want them to get as much information as they can. So am I better just to sit back and go, okay, well, I'm just accepting of the fact that you've now pushed it back another three months because I'm trusting in you that you're actually going to dig super deep to find the information that will help us find my mum. That's the goal at the end of the day. Like the end of the day, my plan was always to get it to the coroner because the coroner is a person of, you know, huge um, stature. Like, yeah, and she's the person or he is the person who can call this and for what it is and she can request that, you know, a full investigation is done. You know, before that, before the podcast started, all I was dealing with was, you know, Byron Bay Police who, you know, were too busy, the case is closed, I'll get to it if I've got time. Like, that's not good enough for a missing persons case. So for me... That's it, Sal. And and let's not forget that, you know, the, the case was kind of closed and then once... The podcast launched, and we started finding all these leads and, and throwing up all this information. A flurry. The police then changed tack and said, "Well, we never really closed it. It's been open the whole time. That's why we can't we, we can't share anything with you." And then that was the reason not to allow us access to documents that would help in our investigation. And then ultimately, that you know, the entire missing persons unit was disbanded and, and a new a new one set up. So it, it's it's kind of like they they've had it both ways. Well, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, and then like... you've been sitting there saying, "Hi, I'm still here. Mm. I just want to know what happened to my mum." So, mm-hmm. Sal, I, I gather now though that you are hoping and praying that that's the last extension they'll get. That you you oh. do because I mean, at the very least, they can keep investigating until because it will be probably. Well, six... that's the other thing you said that that that, uh, and I did ask him specifically about that. That. Um, once a, a coronal inquiry is called, that doesn't affect the police's ability to continue their investigation. It doesn't impinge on their work one iota. So there, there's no procedural reason for them to be granted or request another extension. That, as you say, a year is long is more than long enough. It, it's more than you, you get in just about any case, and and they yeah. can continue investigating. Well, especially when you hear you hear on the news, and I'm I'm so happy for these people that they get to a, a coronial inquest. But, you know, I was something popped up on Facebook the other day because I follow a lot of those pages, you know, like um, crime pages and missing mm-hmm. persons pages. And there was a woman who, um, I think it was her brother, had been missing for two years and they just got the date for their coronial inquest. And so I, as much as I am so happy that those people are getting it, I'm going, why is this taking so long? Like, why is it 23 years in the making for us to, to go to a coronial inquest? I mean, it should have been, the document should have been handed to the coroner well way back way back way back and then even again you know 10 years after the fact there's we've got documentation where she's saying you have not provided the p79b form that needed to be you know sent to the coroner for the case that this woman has not been found so you know it's taken so long and so i'm really hoping that the 30 30 september is it and they hand it over, and if they have to keep investigating, they can, but it gives the coroner an opportunity to start looking at the case um, yeah. as well. And, you know, because it's, it's it takes its toll. It takes its toll yeah. on my whole entire family. You know, it's not just me. It's my kids. It's my husband. Um, you know, it's my yeah. friends, my, you know, my my mum's my mum's friends. You know, they're all in their 70s now, and they all get sad. They cry. You know, they don't know what's happened to their friend, and, 
you know, they want answers as well. So it's not just me. There's a, there's a lot of people who who want to know you guys as well. Like, I'm sure, like, you know, it's um, you guys have put your heart and soul into it as well and you'd like to know what's happened to, to her. Yeah, well... And as, as, as uh, that um, former um, homicide detective uh, we interviewed um, said, you know, the answer's... In the in the file, Ron, Ron Idles, yeah, Ron Idles, yeah, and you know he's he's solved so many homicides. Um, as I said, the answer is inevitably always in the file. And let's not forget, Sal, that up until um, just over a year ago, and and Gary Sheen said this when I interviewed him for the first episode, um, that your mum is alive and doesn't want to be found, and we have to respect her privacy. That was the police position for two decades. Mm. All and right, that was even after, that, <laughs> even, even after Gary, you know, found out about the name change and the, and I the, still the trips feel... to Luxembourg and the new passport. But, but you know, it's all that time they were maintaining the fiction that we now know was, frankly, just a lie. No one, no one, there's no record of your mum being cited or spoken to by anyone, let alone physically seen in person, um, that they maintained that lie for two, more than two decades, that she'd done this on her own, get over it, uh, she doesn't want to know you. But I mean, it, it, it's, uh, and I think that's why so many millions of people um, have so much empathy for you, Sal, and, uh, and are as desperate as we are. That, that's why I signed on to help you. That's why Alison, um, you know, started all of this, and, and that's why people are listening because, I mean, ima- any of us imagining <clears throat> going through that and knowing in your heart of hearts your mum wouldn't do that. Also, and then now we, know, we, know, we, we now know for sure that it wasn't that simple, regardless of how this happened. She didn't just get up and abandon you. That, that's not what happened. Well, the what other- the police have been saying happened for so long, it didn't happen. Something else happened. Well, and I, I know we're going to, I can feel it. I've been doing this and I've been finding people for a couple of decades myself, including my own, my own father. I can feel it. We're, we're going to find out what happened to herself. So hang in there. But the other thing I found looking at, you know, cases that we've been involved with before, like we've been, you know, the Alison Baden-Clay case up here in Brisbane. I was on. You've done lots down there, Brian. And mm-hmm. I just feel like Sally, you know, it's like it always feels like Sally is having to fight so much harder than yeah. any, anyone else, any other victim of crime, which it certainly seems like. I mean, we have, as you say, we, we've always said there's no evidence of a crime at this stage, but it just doesn't make sense that she has to fight so much harder to get to the next level. And even then, it's like an us and them situation. Even well, then... Well, no, and, and, that, that, and that's what's so frustrating. Even now that we've uncovered all of this information to give them a red-hot chance of finding out what happened, somehow we're... The baddies. We're, we're the ones posing a threat to their investigation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's ludicrous. I, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do to remedy that because there is no investigation without Sally's perseverance and our intervention. But there, anyway, there, is no, yeah. there is no new investigation. S- Sally, so. Sally should not be going through this. They, they should be certainly, I mean, no. communicating with her a lot more, trusting her as the next of kin. But anyway, and, and the fact that we've had to go through NCAT, I, you know, I mean, I know that that was something that um, Mark Leveson had to go through. So, oh, gosh, you know, so that there is another example. But still, it hasn't been... You know, you see, look, what, look what the Levinson family had to go through. In the end, they, they, they got their boy back. 
But look what they yeah. had to go through. It shouldn't be that hard. You know, the problem the problem where I'm at now and that we're fully into this and we're investigating it and, you know, I'm not just going to step back and hand it over and go, okay, well, I'll sit back now while you guys do it. Mm. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep searching because I might find something that they might not find mm. or Joni might or Jen might or June might. Like there's plenty of people helping me. So I'm not going to put the brakes on just because – we're going to the next level. If we can do it under under, under our own hats and not sit there and advertise yeah. what we're doing, I don't see that there's any harm in that. And I have I've backed you guys a hundred percent with them and said, without doing the podcast, I would not be sitting here talking to the homicide squad or the coroner, and they have agreed with that. Yeah, um, but I think that's half their issue. <laughs> I think they'd prefer not to be in that position. I mean, I mean, have a think. I mean, you know, the, the reason we went to Luxembourg isn't because. We, we we had a whim that maybe because that name and because of the ad and because we'd found a person who matched that name and age and location, that it had to be him. Um, the fact is your mum identified Luxembourg as the country of her residence. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't make that up. What we did is we followed the leads. We, we chased down the information and we went and, and, and we, we looked into this stuff firsthand. The same way we, we retraced your mum's steps around uh, Alfriston and down through Tunbridge Wells and down to Brighton. I mean, the value of doing that in person mm, shows and demonstrates just how unlikely the scenario, the, the police scenario, the assumption was that she was um, moseying around. I mean, she was going to disappear for a year. She was away for a total of what, um, just over just, a month? Just under, just under five weeks. Just under five weeks. So, yeah. I mean, and then and then all of a sudden she was back in Australia for three days under the new name, uh, claiming to be a housewife in Luxembourg. Now, that is not only unique, it's not the behaviour of someone intentionally trying to disappear. They don't come back to the place they've disappeared from, wander around, and and strip, strip all their, their cash from accounts in the way that someone did with your mum's accounts. And there's another big part... It's highly unusual and suspicious. There's another big part that I feel plays very importantly in that whole scenario as well is the fact that she's come back. She's apparently gone and withdrawn $5,000 every day for three and a half weeks Mm. through banks. Um, We've been told other information that she withdrew $80,000 in a lump sum from Mm -hmm. a bank in Ashmore where she lived two minutes up the road and would have been absolutely at sight of knowing who people were, um, yep. people find, knowing who she was if she's planning on disappearing. But the the key thing for me is the money that was transferred. It wasn't technically sitting in the Barclays Bank. It was always sitting in the Commonwealth Bank account, mm. but it was Available. accessed through yeah. Barclays over in the UK, mm. just to clarify. Right. But yeah. there's like still today, just show $15,000 sitting in there. I'm sorry, but if she's going to go to the effort of taking yeah. out $5,000 every day, why did she not touch that money? Is that because the yeah. person who was taking the money didn't know that there exactly. was $15,000 or 20000 back then sitting in another bank account? Well, that makes much that, more well, sense. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that's the reason. Why else would you leave it sitting there? Correct. If she's taking the money from every other account, Correct. why leave yeah. a, a huge chunk sitting there? You don't. The no. answer is you don't. And now she's accessible, her super accessible. But anyway, moving on, we have to finish this up in a minute. Sally, one other thing. I mean, the outgoing passenger car was just fascinating. But one interesting aspect of it is under Luxembourg law, she would, wouldn't have changed her maiden name. Is that correct? So... What we've done some more investigation into Luxembourg law um, because obviously it states that that's where she was residing and that she was married living there. 
Um, so in Luxembourg, you actually the maiden name is kept. So after marriage, so if she was to go there and get married, she still would have been Barter um, or Marion Barter if she'd changed that. Um, still after the marriage, so hence why we believe maybe the name change came into place via Depol before she left, because that would mean that when she goes there and gets married, she would then be Ramakel and would have been able to have that name as her surname. But if she'd gone over there without doing the name change, she would have been Marion Barter still. Mm. Or known right. as Barter as a maiden name over there, even though she's married to a Ramakel, if that's yeah. the case. So there you go. There's another little bit of <laughs> information. And this that, is just important, like yeah. I've been exp- explaining. And, I mean, Joni and I have been become super, super close. She, she came on to this case because her husband's grandmother went missing in 1922. And only while since she's met me and been doing helping me, she, they've actually found out what happened to Bertha. There you go. And, yeah. you know, uh, and using all her tools and all her, sco- all her skills to gain that information. And that's why she, when she listened to the podcast, she said, you know what, I have all these skills, I have all this information, I know how to get this information, let me help you. So that's what's happened with her. And I said to her the other day, I said, you know what, Um, as much as anything... It's, and because she has said to me before, with Bertha particularly, she said, I, I wanted to get involved. Like, it's not even her grandmother. It's her husband's grandmother. Mm. So she'd never even met her. But she said every time a baby's born, there's sadness because they didn't know where Bertha was. And every mm. time that someone got married, there's sadness because she's not there yeah. to celebrate. So there's always this underlying worry and stress that there's a missing person and we don't know where she is or what's happened to her. So I said to her, you know, for, for all it's worth... Um, at the end of the day, even if we don't find her, like even if the coroner gets to the point and she says it's an open finding, we think something's happened to her, she's deceased, but we can't find Mm. her. At least my family have a documented record Mm. in the way of the podcast and these conversations to know exactly what has happened. And all those little tidbits of information are so important to just putting the jigsaw puzzle together. It doesn't mean it's a big piece of the puzzle, but it's a tiny piece. And, you know, when you finish a jigsaw puzzle and you've got the last Mm. piece and you can't find it, that's the kind of scenario. So once I pass away and my children have children and their children have children and she's still missing, that will be something that will be part of their history in their family. Yeah. So it is really important that we have a document, well documented, and this has been my, you know, my thing as well. I've wanted to make sure everyone knows that we cross the T's and dot the I's correctly. I don't want people getting error, giving errors in um, information yeah. because it's really vital for my family um, and for helping the case that we get the information correct. And so, you know, I am grateful for that opportunity to be able to do that. I know there's a lot of people out there. Um, reaching out to me who have missing persons and they just don't have the energy or the, the 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 ability to do what we're doing right now. So, you know, I'm trying to help those people as well and, you know, being a shoulder for them or giving them some ideas on what they can do to help find their loved ones as well. But most of them just and, say, and, and I, also, have, so I don't, don't have the energy don't, to do it. And don't know? forget also that, that your case, as I say, it, it, it's unique. There really is no other missing persons case like your mum's. Uh, and, and that's what's... That's what's captivated this this global audience and can i just say Joni, we love you thank you so much for everything you've done to help sally and to help us you you are absolutely brilliant and and all of the other web sleuths there's too many to name right now but you know one, one of the reasons we started this and and constructed it and decided to do a podcast in the hope that we would draw people out like you and mm-hmm. you've exceeded all of our hopes and expectations thank you so much and, and just before I, I finish off sal 
Um, it's it's been another year and another Mother's Day. I know you posted on our, our Facebook page that it's um, yet another Mother's Day where you've had to spend it as a mum, but without your mum. And uh, you know we, we we're thinking of you all the time, but especially times like that. And I know that everyone else out there is too. Yeah, Hang thank in there. you, thank you. And just a little fun fact: after working a, over a year with Joni, didn't she just send you a photo of herself the other day? <laughs> <laughs> we were <laughs> we were talking, we were talking, and she she said she sent me a photo just randomly and said, "I was just thinking about it," and I was like, "You don't even know what I look like." <laughs> so and she said, "I'm just listening to another podcast so while I'm cooking dinner," and sent me a photo of her so gorgeous she's got self. Earphones. <laughs> Well, we'll, have to, we'll have to interview uh, Joni sometime. Oh, uh, we will. If there is anything new or big that happens, we will put out another episode. But in the meantime, um, just keep checking the uh, the Facebook, our social media, and we'll, we're also available through all our um, our emails and you know uh, the uh, Lady Vanishes page. So thank yep, you very much. And if you've got a tip, an anonymous tip, uh, remember lady, the ladyvanishes.org. Yep. Great. Thank you all so much for your support and stay safe. Yep. Bye now. See you later.